Welcome to Christ Rehoboth Church, a place where we help people discover their purpose for living and raise kingdom people for global impact. Join us today as Reverend Kingsley Agu takes you deep into God's Word. A man that needs no introduction, going all over the world with the gospel of Christ, changing the entire Mambul earth. Christ Rehoboth Church, join in welcome to the podium, my father, Global Baba, Doctor Abel Damina, glory. Glory. Somebody shout hallelujah. Lift your right hands to heaven. Father, we thank you for this another opportunity to fellowship in the light of your word. Thank you that it is the entrance of your word that giveth light and giveth understanding to the simple. Our minds are open. Our hearts are ready. And we decree that revelation knowledge is gifted us. We declare that your word comes with such clarity today that your people are built up, equipped, edified, and Jesus is glorified. So we rejoice that by the end of this service, nobody lives here the same way they came. We give you praise and glory and honor for answered prayer. In Jesus' precious name, and every believer says a powerful amen. amen. Lift your right hands to heaven. Let's release our faith together as we say these words. I am born of God. I am born of the word. The word of God is my nature. I do not struggle to do the word. I do the word naturally. Therefore today, I will understand the word of his grace. I will be built up. By the end of this service, I will never be the same. Never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, and every believer says a powerful amen. Can we celebrate our fellowship with a shout and a clap this morning? Glory! Amen. Grab your pen, your notebook, your Bible. You can be seated with your sweet, smart self this morning. Praise God. What a joy to be in Christ Rehoboth. I'm so excited. It's been wonderful since we came in last night. And I want to honor and celebrate you know, the set man of the house, Reverend Kingsley, and the first lady of the house. We love you both. We celebrate you. We honor you for your labor, for your service, and for all you do for the body of Christ, you know, and in particular, Christ Rehoboth. We, we truly honor you. Thank God for you. You know, um, and, and this church, you need to know that when God gives you a gift in a man, you, you know, it's, it's, it's because God loves you. And God loves you very much that he's giving you Reverend Kinsley in this house. You know, so you must, yeah, go ahead. If you're clapping, clap well. Amen. You must, you must treasure the gift of God. You must treasure the gift of God so you can get all that God intends for you to get out of the gift. Amen. Praise God. Thank you again for your labor, Reverend Kinsley. And you know, one of the good things you have as a church going for you is that you belong to an apostolic house. And when you belong to an apostolic house, you must know what an apostolic house constitutes of. What makes an apostolic house? Let's begin from Christianity is apostolic and historic. Christianity is apostolic and historic. The word of God tells us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus himself, the cornerstone. 
So the church of Jesus is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Who are these apostles and prophets? They are what we call the apostles of the Lamb. There are only 12 of them. And after the 12 were gone, nobody else belongs to that class. These are apostles of the Lamb. These were apostles that were with Jesus from the baptism of John till the day he was taken. They are eyewitnesses of the events. And they were the only ones that were permitted to report the events of the incarnation and the events of the resurrection. They are called the apostles of the Lamb. So the church of Jesus is built on the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. Now, the apostles also are the prophets. And Jesus himself is the cornerstone of the church. So when you belong to an apostolic house, what we mean is that you belong to a church that is built on the teachings of the foundational apostles or the apostles of the Lamb. That is, you belong to a church that is not given to sentiments. You belong to a church that is not given to, you know, copying what everybody else is doing. You belong to a church that is apostolic. What makes a church apostolic is a, an apostolic house is given to the ministry of the word and prayer. An apostolic house is given to the ministry of the word and prayer. The apostle says, we will not leave the word of God and serve tables. We will give ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. That's an apostolic house. It's a house where prayer is a norm. And the teaching of God's word takes the central stage. There's no other activity other than prayer and the teaching of the word. And because of prayer and the teaching of God's word, there is spiritual growth. And because there is spiritual growth, spiritual growth gives rise to ministry. So every member of that house is an able minister of the New Testament, is given to ministry. Because the mission of God is for every one of you to be a minister of the gospel. There's no particular special encounter that makes you a minister of the gospel. What makes you a minister of the gospel is spiritual growth. And when you are being fed well, you begin to grow spiritually. Spiritual growth, therefore, will produce the fruit of ministry. Where you begin to serve the purpose of God. You begin to serve the will of God. You begin to serve the intent of God to your generation. As a result of spiritual growth in an apostolic house where you are exposed to sound doctrine. Who gaino healthy, wholesome, holistic doctrine. And where you are given to prayer. So now you result in evangelism and raising disciples. That's what makes you a partaker of an apostolic house. Can I have a powerful amen? amen? And that's what you have here. You must treasure it because what you have here is not commonplace. You can't find it in many places. You know, and when you are planted in a local church, a local church is God's wisdom. Is God's wisdom. A local church is God's wisdom for building quality people for his kingdom. A local church is God's wisdom. In a local church, you have training, you have equipping, you have spiritual growth. In a local church, you have training, equipping, spiritual growth, and you are held accountable. Accountable for the resources of God that have been delegated or handed down to you. And that is why when you belong to a local church, you are exposed to the grace of God. You are exposed to the grace of God. You become a recipient of God's grace. And Brother Paul will say, we have not received the grace of God in vain. So you are not a waster of grace. Because as knowledge comes, you grow in grace. As knowledge comes, you are enabled and empowered. And the essence or the intent of 
teaching and training is so you can do the work of ministry. You can serve the purpose of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 11. The word of God tells us, Brother Paul writes into the church at Ephesus and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers or what we call pastoring teachers. You know, what they call the fivefold is actually not five, it's fourfold. Because the pastor and the teacher is one of his pastoring teachers. Why? Look at the next verse. For the perfecting of the saints. For the perfecting of the saints. Is, is a Greek word that implies to make the saints fit. For making the saints fit in view of the work of ministry. It is the saints that do the work of ministry. When they are made fit by teaching, by training, by prayer. You are made fit, you are made capable, you are equipped in view. The equipping is in view. There's an end for this teaching. There's an end for higher life conference. There's an end for your membership in Christ Lohobot. The end product of all of this is for the work of the ministry so that you are able to rise and do ministry and fulfill the purpose of God and carry out the will of God and serve your generation with God's purpose. That's why you are in a church like this. And when every one of you is involved with ministry, there will be the edifying or the building of the body of Christ. That's the end product of all of these. You're not just learning so you can show off. You're learning so you are well equipped to serve the purpose of God. You're learning so you're well equipped to carry out God's responsibility on the earth. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Say with me, there's a call of God on my life. I am being equipped to fulfill that call. Now say with me very loud, I will serve my generation with the purpose of God in my life. I didn't hear a powerful amen. amen. Luke chapter 24 verse 25, Jesus rises from the dead. He meets the disciples on the way to Emmaus. And they were discussing the events of the past three days and they were talking about the fact that Jesus was somebody they thought was going to bring for them freedom from the tyranny of Caesar. They, they said, well, we thought he was the one that was going to free us from political oppression. And to make matters worse, some women that went to the tomb said his body has disappeared. And they were talking about Jesus to Jesus. And Jesus turned to them and said unto them, O fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. All that the prophets, a specific class of prophets, major and minor prophets of the Old Testament. All that the prophets have spoken. What did the prophets speak? He now summarizes the message of the prophets. Ought not Christ next verse, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. So now he indicates to them that the death, the burial, the resurrection was not martyrdom. It was to fulfill the prophecy of the prophets that the Christ will suffer, he will be buried, and on the third day he will rise. He will enter into his glory. Then he goes a step further and beginning at Moses. The word beginning at Moses is beginning at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses beginning. Now Jesus had a pattern of teaching. He always started teaching from Moses and the apostles learned from Jesus. They too, when they start teaching, they started from Moses because you know, when you're given a textbook in the school, you don't read from the middle, you don't read from the back, you read from the beginning. That's how you're supposed to approach 
approach the Bible. You don't read the Bible from the middle. You don't read the Bible from the back. You're supposed to begin from the beginning. The Bible is one book. It's a collection of one book that carries with it one message. One book, one message in a progression of revelation. It begins from Genesis to unfold the plan of God in, in portions of truth, in portions of truth, in portions of truth. Now, in each book of the Bible, there's only a portion of the truth. You don't have the whole truth in a particular book. So, a portion of the truth in Genesis, a portion of the truth in Exodus, a portion of the truth in Leviticus, a portion of the truth in Numbers, a portion of the truth in Deuteronomy, and runs through the prophets. And these portions of the truth came together and took up a body in the incarnation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, the portion of the truth became a person and dwelt among us and walk through. Now, this portion of the truth found complete expression in a personality. So, Jesus is the totality of the revelation of the truth of scripture. John chapter 5 verse 39, Jesus will say to the Jews, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But the scriptures don't give eternal life. Rather, they are they which testify. The word testify means the scriptures give evidence of my person. When he said you search the scriptures, he said you investigate the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but the scriptures don't give eternal life. Rather, the scriptures will give you evidence of my person. The scriptures will point you to my person. Then the next verse is, and you will not come to me that you may have life. So the scriptures point you to me, but you must meet me personally to have life. He that has the Son has life. I am come that you may have life and be abundant. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Now, so Jesus begins to open up to them that the intent of the scriptures is himself. He is the message of the scriptures. He is the content of the scriptures. He is the context of the scriptures. He is the content. He is the context. He is the message of the scriptures. That is, he is the reason for the scriptures. That is, he is the purpose. Why scriptures were written. He is the reason for the prophets. When every prophet showed up and prophesied, he was the reason for their prophecy. He was behind all the types and the shadows of Moses. In Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So, the entire book rallies around the person of the Christ. Can somebody shout hallelujah. Now, so beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded the word diharmonia interpreted in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So there was a bias in how he handled the scriptures. Jesus had a bias in how he handled the scriptures. He didn't interpret everything. He interpreted the things concerning himself. He did not interpret everything because everything wasn't necessary. Why? Yesterday we established a foundation, if you remember, that the prophets, the prophets inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. So, in the writings of the prophets, you will find their inquiries you will find their searchings and you will find the prophecy. So there's a combo. That's why the scriptures, therefore, must be rightly divided. You remove their searchings, you remove their inquiries, 
and you take only the prophecies. Alright, so Jesus had a bias in the interpretation of the scriptures. The same thing with the apostles because the apostles learned from the best. They learned from Jesus. Look at the way brother Paul will put it in Romans chapter 16 verse number 25. Romans chapter 16 verse number 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel which is the preaching that and is not a conjunction in some places in scripture. It is a further explanation. So and the TKS rule of Bible interpretation and or which is the preaching. My gospel which is the preaching of Jesus Christ. But not just the preaching of Jesus Christ. Because I have had pastors say, well, but we preach Jesus in our church. We have the name of Jesus to open our prayer. And we have Jesus to close our prayer. And we mention Jesus here and there in our teachings. No, no, no. It's not just the label Jesus Christ. But according to the revelation of the mystery. The apocalypsis of the mysterion, The unveiling of that which was concealed. Apocalypsis, revelation. Mystery Mysterion, that which was concealed, which was kept Sigao, Sigao, since the world began. It was kept secret or Sigao, concealed, kept away from them because of their mindsets, because of the limitation of their understanding, since the world began. So the preaching has to be according to the unveiling of Christ from the mystery Genesis to Malachi. It has to be the unveiling of the person of the Christ from Genesis to Malachi, which is what we call the canon of scripture. To unveil Christ, to bring Christ out. Alright? So there's a bias in Bible teaching and Bible study and Bible interpretation. The bias is the person of the Christ. To bring Christ out. You feed on Christ. You live on Christ. You dwell in Christ. You keep learning Christ. That's how spiritual growth takes effect. Look at the next verse, verse number 26. It says, since the world began, but now is made manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of the faith. So beginning at Moses. So let's begin at Moses. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Barashit Elohim barat etashamayim's letter aret. Alright? So he now says in the eternal past, in the eternity of the eternities, before time began, God in time created the heaven and the earth. Now he wasn't talking about physical creation. He wasn't talking about physical creation. He was talking about the intent, the plan of God. So this was a statement of intent. That in the beginning God announced his intent that his intent was heaven and earth. That God's intention through the ages was that he was going to bring to pass a dream. That the dream of God, the desire of God was heaven and earth. Heaven and earth is Moses' verbiage or Moses' mode of communicating what he understood so that the people of his audience will have an understanding of his communication. Remember that the Bible was written not in heavenly language, but was written in earthly language. The Bible is written in earthly language, which will mean that the communication of God's thoughts, God's intent, God's dream, 
will be communicated to men in human language. So it becomes important to understand the language that was used in this communication. Don't also forget that when the Bible was written and when Moses was communicating these thoughts, the language that was in use then was not English language. So because it was not English language, there will be the need to explain and there will be the need to interpret things because, you know, you've got to sit where they sat. You've got to travel back in time and sit down in Moses' congregation and hear what they heard to be able to understand what was being communicated in their day and time. You must sit where they sat. You must hear what they heard. If you do not sit where they sat and hear what they heard, you will never understand what was communicated. Because that later was not written to you. It was written to an audience that was in captivity. The book of Genesis was written or was Moses' message to an audience that were in captivity about an exodus that God promised. So like we said yesterday, Genesis is the promise of an exodus. Which means that the background for Genesis will be exodus. You cannot understand Genesis without Exodus. And you cannot understand Exodus without Genesis. And the background of Exodus is Leviticus. And the background of Leviticus is Numbers. And you cannot understand Numbers without Deuteronomy. Now, so the five books of Moses are the building blocks of Bible doctrine. Moses gave us the building blocks of Bible doctrine. That's why Jesus couldn't teach without beginning at Moses. Because Moses gave the building blocks of God's thought, God's intent, God's dream, God's ideas. And you will find all of it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Which means that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy lays the foundation for the prophets. So the prophets didn't teach their books without Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So the books of Moses lays the foundation for the major prophets. The major prophets lay the foundation for the minor prophets. And the minor prophets lay the foundation for the four gospels. You will never understand the four gospels until you understand the prophets. And you cannot understand the prophets until you understand Moses. So Moses is the father of Bible doctrine. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures. The things concerning himself. Luke chapter 24, verse number 44. And I'm going to go back to Genesis in a few minutes. Luke 24, 44. Are you still in the building? Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. That all things. Now when you hear the word all things in the Bible, you must always be smart enough to include all these things. Not all things, all these because there was already a discourse before. So that discourse before culminated in all these things. For example, you read the Bible. And the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you cannot do all things. You cannot do all things. You cannot do all things. You cannot marry my wife. You cannot do all things. I can't marry your wife. I cannot do all things. <laughs> I can do all things. Mm, 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 mm. Cool down, cool down. You cannot do all things. You can do all these 
things, which things, the pretext. I know how to abase. I know how to abound. I know how to be with. And I know how to be without. I know how to suffer. And I know how to enjoy. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. Are we in the building here? So whenever you see the word all things in scripture, you must be careful to insert the this. Because the all is not always all. Okay? It's, it's like people say, well, but with God all things are possible. Mm -mm. All these things, depending on what context he's talking about. So what, where did he say all things are possible? When he was dealing with miracles. So God can perform any miracle. But remember, miracles must be within the context of his character. Because God cannot produce what betrays his character. So even if God is going to do miracles, it will be within the definition of his character. It will agree with his character. He cannot produce a miracle that is out of his character. Are we in the building here? So even with God, all things are possible. It will be all these things within this context are possible to him that believe it. So all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and, can you see where it began again? In the law of Moses and, in the prophets and, in the Psalms, destination concerning me. So Moses and the prophets and the Psalms have a mandate to reveal me to you. So when you read Moses and you don't see me, you never read. When you read the prophets and you don't see me, you never read. And when you read the Psalms and you don't see me, you never read. So the question is, how do you read? How do you read? The divergent religions we have in the world today came out of the Bible. It will shock some of you to know. Islam came from the Bible. All the religions, Guru Maharaj, Grail Message, Mormon, all of them came from the Bible. Occultism came from the Bible. That's why they have the seven books of Moses. They all came from the Bible. Diabolic people came from the Bible. That's why some of them in their shrines, they have a copy of the Bible to help your religious mind to think you're still doing it in the will of God. <laughs> so why do they all come from the Bible? Depending on how you read. How do you read? If you are reading the Bible to look for how to kill your enemies, you will end up in occultism. If you are reading your Bible to look for the prophets of the Bible, you will end up in Islam. Or any of those religions that have prophets as a big deal. But if you are reading the Bible to look for Christ, you will end up in Christianity. So what are you looking for? How do you read? Because there are some people that just carry the Bible and they say to me, Dr. Damina, which are the most powerful verses in the Bible? Most powerful? They are looking for occultism. They are looking for, they are looking for diabolism. They are not looking for Christ. They want the most powerful scriptures. And there's nothing like the most powerful scriptures. The whole Bible is powerful. There are no selected scriptures that are powerful. There are no such things in the Bible. Because the gospel Bible is a message. One message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power. So it is the gospel in the Bible that is the power of God. Now observe. The power of God unto. The power of God unto. So the power of God has a destination. 
The destination of God's power is salvation. So when you see destruction, it is not the power of God. When you see disaster, it's not the power because the power of God is unto salvation. So the power of God can only be seen within the framework of salvation. You can't see the power of God outside salvation. The power of God is to save. To save man and to save people because God loves people. So God's power is demonstrated and made manifest within the framework of salvation. Can I have a powerful amen? amen? Now, so back to Genesis where we are. So the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning him. In the beginning, God's intent. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, next verse, was without form, void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Next verse. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said. So the first thing you will find, the contact of God with man in Genesis is the Spirit. The Spirit of God. The very first action of God in Genesis is he spoke. The Spirit spoke. We see the Spirit, we see speaking. And the Spirit of God appears because God's dealings with man are supernatural. So that's why Moses uses the word spirit. Because the dealings of God with man are supernatural. God does not deal with you naturally. He deals with you supernaturally. Alright, so the day you got born again, you were born a supernatural being. New birth is your access into the supernatural life. When you are born again, you are born of the Spirit. Therefore, you function in the highways, supernatural ways, the higher life. You operate in a realm that is above the realm of the natural, supernatural. Because God's contact and God's activity with man is supernatural. Look at Genesis chapter 2 verse number 18. Genesis chapter 2 verse number 18. And if you were not here last night, I'll recommend you get the teaching of last night because we laid some framework and I'm not about to go through that today. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. That's not a scripture for marriage. That scripture is not for marriage. The woman is not a help meet for man. Women have occupied a space, but it's not your space. Because even the woman needs a helper. This scripture is not a marriage scripture at all. It's far from it. The church has used it for marriage. Well, it's okay. The age of a lie doesn't make it the truth. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man, not the husband, the man, Male and female created he them and called them Adam. It's not good that the man, the Adam, Adama, Adam, the Adam should be alone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, alone. Only begotten son. But it's not good. So he died. Gave up the only, rose from the dead as the prototokos, the first begotten, and brought many sons to glory. Because it's not good that the man, Jesus the man. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If you're catching this, can I have a powerful amen? So, this scripture is not for marriage. This word, I will make him a help. Meat is the word in the Greek, in the Hebrew, 
Ezar. Ezar means I will make him a help. Help in terms of salvation. Not in terms of marriage. And you know, women have been saddled with too many things that are not theirs in the Bible because of poor Bible teaching. So, too much is expected of a woman and, and those expectations are put on the woman because of poor Bible interpretation. So, some they call them the Proverbs woman. There's no woman that can be a Proverbs woman. Don't even waste your time. See, the Proverbs woman wakes up very early, prepares food for her family. The Proverbs woman must be a businesswoman. She must make money. She's the one waking up. She's the one cooking. She's the one making money. She's the one running all the affairs. She's the one going afar and bringing food. She's the one making clothes. Hey, you will die very young. <laughs> the book of Proverbs is a book of pee-pee sayings. What we call pee-pee sayings. That is sayings that are only allowed within an ideal society. Within an ideal. And no society is ideal. So that already rules out. The book of Proverbs has expectations from you. Moreover, the book of Proverbs is a book of parables. Which means it requires interpretation. It's not literal. <laughs> it's a book of Parables. The word Proverbs, book of parables. So don't take things literal from the book of Proverbs. It has to be interpreted. Are we in the building? Yeah, it has to be interpreted. I, I did some teachings recently on the book of Proverbs that it was brutal, man. Because, <laughs> because by the time we read Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruit of your increase. By the time I did exegesis on that, what the church has taught is not exactly what is there. Honor the Lord with your substance. With the first fruit, it's not give God money. The substance and the first fruit from sound exegesis is honor the Lord by preaching and teaching. That's the substance. Preaching and teaching. The first fruit is the first person that you get born again in a family, in a society, in a city. The first person. So, the first person you get born again in a society, in a place, becomes the honor that you give to God in that society, then that person now becomes the lighthouse for others to come to the kingdom. So that Proverbs 3.9 is actually a scripture for evangelism and discipleship. It's just a use of language. It's not the offering that pastors ask you for in January, bring your salary. That says calm. It's not Bible. When you get to the New Testament, you find out first fruit is human beings. Jesus is the first fruit and those of us that are born again are called the first fruit of his, of his own will begat he us that we should be the first fruit of his creation. So we are the first fruit. It's not money. It has nothing to do with money. But you know the Pentecostal charismatic preachers view every verse of scripture with the binoculars of money. So every verse they read has to be money. There has to be money in it. Psalm 39 verse 3. 39 dollars for 39 blessings. <laughs> And it's fraud. And, <laughs> and it works because a lot of people are not studying their Bibles. And that's why I'm glad that Pastor Kinsley is putting together a, a school of ministry. Well, you know, he's going to take time and do a lot of training and teaching. And I recommend that every one of you should register in that school. The greatest thing you can do for yourself after being born again is to sit down and be properly taught. Properly taught. Because then you are a blessing to yourself, to your family, and to humanity. Can I have a powerful Amen. amen. 
Alright, so Genesis 2.18, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. Look at Genesis 2.23. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 23. It says in Genesis 2.23, put it up for me, brother. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of a man. Some say, mm -hmm. can't you see marriage there? Mm -mm. He's not talking marriage. How do I know he's not talking marriage? Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 32. Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, let's start from verse 30. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. It does that sound like what we just read in Genesis? For this cause shall a man leave father and mother. <clears throat> For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Next verse. For this cause shall Abel leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Does that sound like what we just read? Okay, next verse. Mm -mm. This is a great mystery. But I'm not speaking marriage. We're not talking marriage. We're using marriage as a parable to communicate spiritual truth. It's a mystery, but I'm not speaking marriage. I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. Are we in the building? See, the Bible is a Christocentric material. You cannot, anything you're looking for that is outside Christ, you're using the wrong book. The Bible is his book. It is the message of the Christ. I'm not speaking marriage. After explaining the whole thing so that you're feeling good, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits unto Christ. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. But I'm not speaking marriage. <laughs> I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. Using marriage as an analogy to communicate spiritual realities. Are we teaching good? I said, are we teaching good? So the very first action of man in the earth is speaking. Adam, Eve, and the first thing Adam said was, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 2 to 4. Please pay attention. Genesis chapter 3 from verse 2 to 4. I think the next time I come, Pastor Kingsley, we should just do a whole teaching on the book of Genesis for a whole week. Yeah. Because once you understand Genesis, you have understood the whole Bible. If you cannot understand Genesis, you are, you are, you are joking. Genesis is the foundation, building blocks for Bible doctrine. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Okay. We may eat of, so you find that the first contact of Satan with man, what you have is speaking. What did God say? First time man showed up, bone of my bones. First time God showed up, let there be light. So speaking, speaking, speaking. Okay? But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Next verse. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. That's the theme of a program in Africa. <laughs> you shall not surely die. Amen. They're saying amen to what Satan said against what God said. It sounds like a positive confession, but it's not. It's a lie. You shall not surely die, but God said you shall surely die. Are you with me here? 
That's the devil trying to distort God's word. Look up Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is Adam. 13. Verse 13. And the Lord said, the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Verse 17. I want to just show you some things. Verse 17 of Genesis chapter 3. Verse number 17. Glory to God. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So the first thing we see are interactions of speaking. Interactions. To and fro. Speaking, speaking, speaking. It means that direction from God is primarily in words, not pictures. When God wants to give you direction, when God is directing you, he uses words primarily, not pictures. You, you get direction from the Holy Ghost via words. Via words. Pictures are secondary vehicles. Even though Moses had put them in a pictorial form in the book of Genesis, but the first interactions were words. That means that direction will firstly come by hearing, whether positive or negative. Observe the terms in Genesis. Who told you you were naked? Who told you? That means you are hearing the wrong person. You are listening to the wrong person. Who told you? I didn't tell you. Who told you? You're talking to the wrong people. You're listening to, you, you're listening, you know, to the wrong voices. They show that something was said and there was direction in what was said. And that direction was away from God. Who told you? You're listening to somebody giving you direction in the wrong area. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, the description he gives of God is the spirit of God. The spirit of God. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, put it up for me. Genesis chapter 3 verse number 8. Please pay attention. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The spirit interaction with man from Genesis shows that man is spiritual in nature. Man is spiritual in nature. The word cool of the day, cool of the day, was translated from the Hebrew word ruach in the ruach of the day. Ruach, R-U-A-C-H, ruach. Man, therefore, is a spirit being. Hence, he could understand what spirit, the spirit of God, was saying to him. Man is a spirit being. That's why he could understand what the spirit, you know, the first appearance of God in Genesis is a spirit. And the spirit spoke and I heard. So man is a spiritual being and has the ability to hear the voice of God. Same thing, man has the ability to hear the voice of Satan. Because man is a spiritual entity. Now don't ever forget the word cool of the day is the ruach. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. Please pay attention. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse number 14. 
Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Next verse, verse 15. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Next verse. And what agreement had the temple of God with idols? Temple of God, idols. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the dream that God had from Genesis 1.1. I will walk in them, live in them, is in the beginning God created heaven and earth. I will live in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Now, Paul wrote exposing who man is. He explained beyond physical appearances who the believer is and who the unbeliever is. The real temple of idols is man. And the temple of God is man. These are spiritual realities, whether negative or positive. Righteous, unrighteous. They are spiritual realities. They are not physical things. They are spiritual realities. Now, pay attention. As it has been from Genesis, it suffices therefore to say that God's interaction with man has always been in the spirit. God's interaction with man has always been in the spirit. God commanded the light out of darkness by words. By words. The gospel is preached by words. God commanded the light out of darkness. Genesis 1-3 darkness. Genesis, I mean 1-2 darkness. Genesis 1-3 God said, light be light was. He commands the light out of darkness. The gospel is preached via words. So when God was commanding the light out of darkness, it was the gospel preached. It was God's intent that the gospel would be preached via words. And the first place the gospel was preached was in Genesis. The gospel of Christ was preached in Genesis to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the gospel was preached to them as well as unto us. What was the gospel preached to Adam and Eve? The tree of life. The tree of life. God never gave Adam the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God only gave Adam the tree of life. That's all God offers, life. <laughs> Titus 1, 1, 2. Put it up for me. Titus chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Are you learning? Pay attention. Titus chapter 1. Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which is after godliness. Pay attention to the next verse. Can we all read the next verse to get everybody want to go? In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised when? Before the world began. So what did God promise before the world? Eternal life. So the tree of life is the only thing that God gave to Adam. God didn't give Adam the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good. No, he gave Adam life. Adam rejected life. And the result of the rejection of life is knowledge of good and evil. Are you following here? God does not give you two offers. God has only one. Life. Life. In him was life. And the life was what? The light of me. The gospel of life. The gospel we preach is the gospel of life and immortality. Until you hear life and immortality, you've not had the gospel. 
What you receive is life and immortality. The moment you are born again, you receive immortality in your mortality. Immortality is eternal life. Immortality is everlasting life. That's what God promised. And that's what Jesus died to offer. Except a corn of wheat falls to the ground and die, it abides alone. But when it dies, it bringeth forth fruit. So in death, Jesus produced life. Life was produced for you in death. Okay? So the first time Jesus came, he was conceived in the womb of Mary. The second time, Jesus was conceived in the womb of death. In the womb of death. The resurrected Christ came out of death. The church was born out of death. You came out of death. You were dead in sins. Then he quickened you. So the quickening took place in his death. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, which is the devil. So Jesus trapped Satan by allowing himself to become seen. He made himself vulnerable so that he can take the sins of the whole world. And he took all of it. All of your sins. Past, present, future. All. All. He didn't only become seen by taking your sin. He took the sins of generations before you. Actually, when Jesus was becoming seen, God backdated the sin record. God went back to the beginning of sin. Genesis chapter 3. Then God took all of man's sin from Genesis chapter 3 to where Jesus was. Multiplied it times a billion in case it's a mistake. So nothing is left out. Put them on Christ. Then took the sin as at when Jesus was on earth. Multiplied, put on him. Then God went to the eons of time, to the end of time. Looked at what all humanity is capable of doing. Multiplied it. Put on Jesus. So Jesus died for the sins of the past, the sins of the present, the sins of the future. Even for your children's children's children that will be born, all of their sins was calculated in that one death. So when Jesus died, he put an end to sin and rose triumphantly. Jesus doesn't die when you get born again. He already died. So it means in that one death, he took care of the sins of mankind. So that's why it's called the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of... He took it already. He didn't take away the sin of the church. He took away the sins of the world. So all those guys on the street that don't know they are born again, salvation is hanging on their head and it is your responsibility to announce it to them. You are not the giver, you are just the announcer. Once you announce and they understand your announcement, they take hold of what has been given. That's why we preach. The preaching of the gospel is the power of God that saves men. So we preach without relenting. We preach without, without, without giving up. We preach aggressively and boldly. We keep pushing it because that's the only thing that a sinner needs. The gospel of Christ. Are we teaching here? The death of Jesus paid for all. That's why you are not afraid. You are not ashamed to preach it because it's as real as it is. And if men's hearts are open for a second to hear it, the moment they understand it, salvation happens. Look, salvation doesn't happen when they come to the altar. As you are sitting down and what you are speaking begins to register in their understanding, a regeneration begins. And it happens instantly within microseconds. The man is saved before he begins to know what happened. See, people get born again before they even realize what happened. 
That's why some of them, after they are born again, they are still wondering because nothing changed. Salvation is not a change of behavior. Salvation is a transition from darkness to light. And it happens within seconds. Then it is thereafter that your mind now begins to be schooled on what happened during that transition. And that schooling can take a lifetime. And the more you understand it, the more your life begins to bring out the value or the riches of what Christ has done. I'm teaching good this afternoon. If you're getting blessed, can I have a powerful amen? amen? That's why some people say, but the guy is born again. Why is he still smoking? Why is he still drinking? He's born again, but he's still struggling with womanizing. Well, he's not defined by womanizing, smoking, and drinking. Because if that's what defines him, he will have had to stop that before being born again. But God was not intimidated by his state of affairs and by his state of life. The moment he understood the gospel, Christ walked in and sat there. He's not afraid of cigarettes. He's not afraid of alcohol. He's a cure for alcohol and cigarettes. He sat in there because he knows over time he will take care of it. Somebody say repent before you receive Jesus. No, that's not the gospel. You can't repent before you receive Jesus. It is receiving Jesus that leads you to repentance. Do you understand what I just said? It is receiving Jesus that now will lead you to repentance. Repentance is a change of thinking. How can I change my thinking about KFC if I've not tested it? Somebody told me KFC chicken is not good. Now, don't, don't, don't think I like KFC that much. <laughs> That's just what came to my mind now, KFC. You know, and if you like it, there's nothing wrong with KFC. It's just that it's not one of my favorites, okay? But, but KFC is good, okay? So, somebody says, KFC chicken is not good. And I say, are you sure? He says, yes, it's not good at all. It's very bad. I say, okay, can I just test it and just see for myself so I can have my own opinion? So, we walk into KFC and I grab the chicken and I, I'm chewing it. And it's like, wow, this is nice. It is the experience of the chicken that changed my thinking about KFC. You don't change your thinking about God until you have experienced him. So it is only after, after Jesus comes into your heart that you repent. I don't know if I'm teaching here. You don't repent to receive Christ. Eh, eh. If you can repent, then you don't need Christ. It is Christ in you that makes repentance possible. Can I show you something? Romans chapter, chapter 2 verse 4. Romans chapter 2. In fact, let's start from verse 3. Romans chapter 2 from verse number 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Next verse. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? See, always when you see riches in the New Testament, it is qualified. It's not just riches. Then you think of American dollars. No, you don't have that in the Bible. Riches will either be riches of his mercy, riches of his grace, riches of his goodness, riches of his love. Because God's wealth is not material. God's wealth is immaterial. Riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering. Not knowing. Not knowing. That it's the goodness of God that leadeth, leadeth, leadeth. So there's a direction. Okay? There's a direction that the goodness of God will lead you in after you've tasted it. 
So it is when Christ has entered your heart and you find that he didn't condemn you, he didn't judge you, he didn't attack you, he gave you acceptance, he gave you love, he cleaned you up, he did not join others to condemn you, he just loved you for who you are. He didn't demand performance from you. No, he didn't. He performed for you. He didn't demand efforts from you. He made the efforts on your behalf. It's when you have experienced all of that that you go like, ah, ah, he's a good God. That statement came out of repentance. Repentance came out of experience. You experience, oh, I feel like I'm teaching here. So that's why you, you don't get judgmental about people don't get judgmental about people. Give them a chance to experience Christ like you did. And leave them to run their race. Don't run it for them. By now you should be behaving right. You are trying to run his race for him. <laughs> By now you should. No, no, no. Let him run his race. All of us are God's project in making. In progress. God is working on all of us. Teaching good. I'm teaching good. So I'm saying, no, 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 no. You're trying to make people comfortable in their sins. Well, I'm not the one trying to make them comfortable. It's actually God that is making them comfortable. How? A woman is caught in the very act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus. And they say, the law of Moses says, stone her, end the matter. End it. Remember, they caught her in the very act. That means the man was there with her. But the question is, where is the man? I want that man produced. If you guys don't produce him for me on earth, when we see Jesus, I'll ask Jesus, where is the man? <laughs> because a woman alone does not commit adultery. There must have been a man somewhere. That's what religion does. Religion has what we call selective morality. So since the man is their friend, they protected their friend and threw the lady who is not their friend under the bus. Selective morality. You know those areas of your life where you're very good? You push it forward. And the ones where you're bad, you cover it. And you use the good areas to judge people. Can't you see how good I am? But the other one, you are hiding. That's exactly what they were doing. They brought the woman to Jesus and they said, Moses says to her, look at what Jesus did. He said, any of you. He didn't say any of you that has not committed adultery because then they will have stoned her. Because the reason why they were bold to bring her was because in that area, they didn't have a problem. So Jesus went back to the law because in the law, if you break one, you break all. So he now says, any of you that is without sin, cast the first stone. And I'm sure they just remembered. So one by one, they began to leave. <laughs> then Jesus said, woman, where are thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. Because no man who is guilty has the right to condemn another guilty person. Only the guiltless can condemn the guilty. And the, ol the only one that is guiltless is Jesus himself. And Jesus, who is guiltless, said to her, neither do I condemn you. So he gave her the gift of acceptance. Then he now told her, you go and sin no more. But watch this. Religious people like go and sin no more. But it didn't end with go and sin no more. When he said go and sin no more, he now says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Meaning, if you want to sin no more, follow me. I am still the one that will give you the ability to sin no more. For it is God that walketh in us, but to will and to do of his good pleasure. For teaching good, can I have a powerful amen?
Say with me, I am accepted in the beloved. I am loved by God just the way I am. Turn to your neighbor say, leave me alone to enjoy the love of God the way it is coming to me. Glory! It says, but, but, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't demand performance from you. He didn't demand anything from you. That's why it's called good news. Over the top good news. And that's what your world is waiting for. Neither do I condemn you. Because there is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are where? Where are you right now? Where are you after service? Where are you tonight? Where are you tomorrow morning? So when you wake up in the morning and the devil comes with a barrage of condemnation, remember you are in Christ. And in Christ there is therefore See, you are, not, you, are not, you are not free from condemnation because you pray. You are not free from condemnation because you sing. You are not free from condemnation because you behave right. No, you are free from condemnation because of your status. You are where? In Christ. In Christ. In Christ, there's no condemnation. Why? The law of the spirit of life where in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us, not by us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Somebody say, I walk after the spirit. Then somebody say, but Dr. Damina, the Bible says uh, to be carnally minded is dead, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Yes, that's what he said. Look at it in that Romans chapter, chapter 8, verse number 7. I want to show you something. I want to show you something. Romans chapter 8, verse number 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Next verse, next verse. So then, so then, can you help me? So then, they that are where? In the flesh cannot what? Somebody say, you see that? You see that? They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Look at the next verse, next verse, next verse. Everybody want to go, but you are not. Where are you? So right now, where are you? After this service, where are you? When you're eating your burgers, where are you? You are not in the spirit when you are praying. You are in the spirit even when you are not praying. Being in the spirit is your status. You are in the spirit non-stop. Higher life. And in the spirit there is no defeat. There is only victory. You are always in the spirit. But you are not in the flesh. But in the spirit. If so be. That the spirit of God visited you. Visited? What, what word did he use there? What does he mean to dwell? To take up residence. That means you are the accommodation of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> when you move, you are carrying the totality of deity. The whole of God lives on your inside. When you are moving, all of heaven is on inside. You are the pleroma, the corporate headquarters of God. All of God and all that makes God, God lives on your inside. You are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. 
You're not under, you're over. You have a right to live in victory every day of your life. Victory over sin, victory over Satan, and victory over everything that the devil offers. Higher life, you rule over demons and devils. You're not subject to circumstances. Circumstances are subject to you. When you speak, your word is a law in the realm of the spirit. You don't fight because the weapons are not carnal. You speak words. And with your words, you declare yourself justified. And with your words, you put a stop to the operation of Satan and his kingdom. Somebody say, I hear you. Yeah. Born of the spirit. Born of God. That was the dream and the dream has been fulfilled. That one day God will live in a man and today he's living in you. I will live in you. I will walk in you. I will be your God and you will be my sons and daughters. I say to believers, why do you need a prophet to give you a prophecy? You're not thinking right. You need to repent. You don't need a prophet to give you a prophecy. The, the spirit of God speaking through the prophet lives inside you. Why will somebody living inside you wanting to talk to you will have to go and look for somebody outside to come and talk to you while he's inside? He lives in you. You can hear him too for seven. You can hear him even now. In fact, you're hearing him right now. Because as I'm speaking to you right now, inside you, he's bearing witness. Everything I'm saying, the spirit in you is saying, that's right. That's right. That's correct. So there's a witness of the spirit inside you. Because the spirit that is speaking through me is the same spirit that lives inside you. He's bearing witness. You're a spirit person. You are called to a higher life. And you have been equipped to operate the higher life. Listen, let, let me tell you this. This is for free. You don't need to pay me for this at all. It's totally for free. God will never ask you to do what he has not equipped you to do. If God is saying do ministry, he has already equipped you to do ministry. Who also hath made us able ministers. He's not going to make us. At the point of salvation, the ability to do ministry came on your inside. Teaching now brings it out. Training brings it out, but it's in. Nothing is added to you after salvation. Nothing. The only thing you grow in after salvation is the knowledge of what took up precedence at the point of salvation. God doesn't add anything to you after salvation. After salvation, you have all you need to reign in life. Glory to God. Getting blessed this afternoon? Can I have a powerful amen? I'm almost done. I just want to make sure I, I leave you at a good spot so you can, you can fly for the rest of this year into the new year. Praise God. God commands the light to shine out of darkness by words. So man's interactions therefore on earth are primarily spiritual via the instrumentality of words. So a Christian must learn never to forget that man is a spiritual being and that your words carry spiritual realities. Your words carry what? Spiritual realities. Genesis, the Genesis account accords that sin came into the world by wrong listening. Who told you? Wrong listening. So, the role of words therefore cannot be overemphasized. 
can never be overemphasized. Glory to God. I say glory to God. As a child of God, you have all things that you need to live the supernatural life. Brother Paul says concerning spirituals, I will not have you ignorant. So the only thing that will stop you from operating your spiritual dimension is ignorance. Which means spirituals are thought, just like we're teaching you right now. Spirituals are thought. You're taught to reign. You're taught to rule. You're taught to subdue and take charge. You're, you're taught to live out your realities. Satan's greatest, greatest weaponry against the believer is condemnation, guilt, and inferiority complex. Once Satan can get you to be guilty for nothing, you have created an environment for satanic oppression. Guilt is Satan's greatest weapon. And most times, you don't even have to do something wrong for you to be guilty. You just start feeling guilty. How do I know that you're suffering from condemnation? When you pray and you're not sure the prayer was enough. You're suffering from condemnation. Every time you feel the need to do more in order for God to accept, you're suffering from condemnation. Anytime. If you pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I receive. I receive by faith. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I receive. I, 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 I'm not sure. Well, Father, I'm sorry if there's anything I've done wrong. I'm just sorry. Both the ones I know and the ones I don't. You're suffering. You're under torment. Somebody is punishing you for free. Are we in the building? Anytime you feel any. Okay, when you pray for the sick and you feel like your prayer was not as powerful as Pastor Kingsley's prayer. Then now you say, close your eyes again. Now you want to pray like Pastor Kingsley. In the name of Jesus. You're suffering from condemnation. And the devil knows that's what you're suffering from. So he's not going to obey you in that prayer. Because you're not coming from the place of knowledge. You're coming from the place of condemnation. There is therefore now. God does not want you to harbor condemnation. It's not a gift of grace. Don't give it room. Condemnation is Satan's greatest weapon. Number two, fear. He just gets you afraid for nothing. You just wake up and you're so scared. How am I going to face the future? How is next day going to be like? Oh, oh, Once you allow fear, you've created a breeding ground for satanic oppression. And Satan will operate free of charge. Uninterrupted. Get rid of fear. God has not given to you the spirit of fear. But of love, of power, and of his sound mind. There is no fear in love. Perfected, fear cast, uh, perfected love cast out fear. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. What love are we talking about? It's not, mm, it's not emotional love. Love there is the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not a feeling. It's a knowing. You don't have to feel it. Just know it. Great days are upon you. You didn't say powerful, amen. Great days are upon you. Say with me, we are taking the city. Say it very loud. Confidently. Say it like you know what you're talking about. Because a little ray of light is bigger than the thickest darkness. This is a lighthouse. Twelve men shook the world. You're more than twelve. You can turn this city right side up. You have all it takes. There's an equipping on your inside. Glory to God. I said glory to God. Light in the midst of darkness. That has always been the gospel. To preach the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's always been the will and the plan of God. 
the gospel preached before the foundation of the world. The life of God. And you know what? You have that life on your inside. Amen. Along with salvation came the call to ministry. And every one of you is called. Came with a call to ministry. Let me tell you what God does. When God really is on your case, he puts you in a church that will reveal Christ to you. That's the first thing he does. Then secondly, he equips you to reveal Christ to others. Along with salvation came a call to ministry. All of you are called. That you don't feel it doesn't mean you're not. You're called. And you've got to make up your mind to fulfill that call. Because when we leave this world, you're not going to go with any of the things you have in America. You won't even know where they are. The only thing that will last is what you do for God. Lives you touch. Souls you change. The impact of ministry. That's the only thing that will last. And that's why you must give yourself to the teaching of God's word. So much to teach. So much to teach. And your pastor has great plans to ensure that you learn all the things you need to learn. So you're not deficient in any way. See, I will not have you ignorant. But you know, Pastor Kingsley, as I wrap up this service, do you realize that the most carnal church of the New Testament is a church in Corinth? They were the most carnal church. <laughs> it, was a, it was a church full of carnality. <laughs> Chapter 1, Paul said to them, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. Chapter 2, he said to them, comparing spirituals with spiritual. He said to them, now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. In chapter 2, he said to them, we have the mind of Christ. In chapter 2, he said to them, you do not judge a spiritual man, but a spiritual man judges all things. Ah! He gives them very powerful CV. Then in chapter 3, he says, I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Because you are babes in Christ. Babes? Now he says to them, he uses an oxymoron. He calls them carnal. Carnal doesn't mean that's their status. He means you are spiritual, but you are acting like a man that does not have the spirit. So, he now begins to talk to them. Chapter 5, he talks about a brother who took his father's wife. Uh, no, you don't understand. He collected his father's wife and made her his wife. And came to church and sat with her in the service. And nobody is talking. So Paul says, hey, Corinth, I'm surprised. My worry is not that the guy took his father's wife. My problem is that none of you is surprised. I'm surprised that you're not surprised. <laughs> I'm shocked. None of you is surprised. Is there a common thing in the church? Why are you not surprised? You're not perplexed. You're, you, you just said like a normal thing. He said, before I arrive, I judge. I joined that brother. Let him be handed over to Satan. Now the word Satan is the word Satanas. That is, let him be handed over to accusation. Don't protect him from people blackmailing and accusing him. Allow people to accuse him so he will know that he has done something wrong. So that the flesh, not his flesh, the flesh, that mindset that brought that behavior can be destroyed. But his soul is saved. Okay, so he deals with that. Then in chapter 7, he says, I write unto you that you should not touch a woman. <laughs> Let every man have his own wife. So people are touching people anyhow. Say, stop touching. Don't commit the sin of torture. 
if there's any sin like that. Every man that is, is in need of a woman, marry. Then he now writes to single women. He now writes to married women with unbelievers. He's dealing with carnal matters, marriage issues. Then he now comes to talk about chapter 8, food offered to idols. Can you see the kind of things they're discussing in their Bible study? <laughs> he said, okay, so don't, concerning food offered to idols, we know that there are no idols. But okay, since it's a problem, I can eat meat sacrificed to idols and nothing will happen to me. But because of the weak, I will give it up. My love is bigger than my knowledge. Then it comes to chapter 9. Chapter 10, he begins to deal with eating among the brethren. Then it comes to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. He's still dealing with issues. Then after 11, he now says in chapter 12, now concerning spirituals. <laughs> what a carnal church. It took 11 chapters to deal with carnal issues before he now says, okay, now let's talk about spiritualities, which is what we should have been talking about from chapter 1. I will not have you ignorant, for you know that you were carried away with these dumb idols. For I give you to know, no man that speaketh by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. No one can call Jesus Lord but by the Spirit of God. And then he begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Carnal church. Now why, why, why were they a carnal church? Because they were a church of multiple influences. They were carnal because in chapter 3 he says, some of you say we are for Apollos. Some of you say we are for Paul. Some of you say we are for Christ. There were even people that were Christ. Christocentric. <laughs> they were Paul's disciples in one church. They were listening to too many preachers. Spiritual growth is not the accumulation of knowledge. Spiritual growth is the depth of understanding. It's not how many preachers you listen to that determine how you grow. It is how faithful you are in the one you are, you are listening to. Multiple influences will not allow you to grow. They will not allow you to grow. If your eye is single, your body will be full of light. If your light eye is double, your body will be full of darkness. Maintain a single eye so you grow fast. And a single eye means one voice. You just feed and hear from this house and grow. And be faithful what you're taught. You know, be faithful with it. How do I know if I'm faithful what I'm taught? After the service, can you repeat everything that was preached within the service? If no, you didn't understand. Go back and listen. What you cannot remember, you cannot practice. When I was growing up as a believer, after every service, I was not in a hurry to greet people. Oh, brother, how are you? What's up, man? Glory, hallelujah. While you're doing that, you're forgetting half of the message. Then the brother said, oh, did you see the other guy the other day? Man, I met him on the road. You're, you're not talking about things. You're forgotten everything. You get home empty. Once the service is over, hi, hi, bless you. I'm off. I'm going to find a room where I will preach everything that was preached to me to myself. That's how I grew. I'm always in a hurry to find a, a, a quiet place so I can go over the things that were said in my mind. And if there's anything I left out, I'll pick my note again and check. Just to make sure it goes in. Because it is when it begins to go in con continuously that you're growing. Not you hear and forget. Be doers of the word and not hear us only. Okay? He said, deceiving your own selves. So if you're hearing and not remembering, you're not growing. You must remember everything that was said. And if you cannot, then go back and listen to the message. And then check it again until it enters in. 
then that's when you can say I'm growing. And after a short while, when you speak, your words will come with, with a lot of depth in them. Because there's a lot going on on your inside. Praise God. There's ministry ahead of you. 2023, you will do ministry like you've never done it before. Amen. Your amen is still looking for help. Amen. Can I have an amen that will shake this building? Amen. Stand on your feet and say, I will do ministry like never before. I give myself to the ministry of the word. I give myself to prayer. I give myself to serve the purpose of God. I'm committed to the vision. I'm committed to the mandate. I'm committed to the assignment of preaching the gospel, raising disciples, and establishing the kingdom of God on the face of the earth. I didn't hear a powerful amen. amen. Are you blessed? Yes, Glory to God. Say with me, I live above circumstances. I live above situations. I live above guilt and condemnation. I live above fear. I reign in life. Oh, say it again, I reign in life. Say it louder, I reign in life. Say sickness and disease, they are subject to my authority. I walk in health. I walk in authority. I walk in total authority. I speak words which the Holy Ghost honors. And I declare in the name of Jesus, ministry prospers through me. I didn't hear a powerful amen. Father, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice that this revelation grows big in our hearts. Our minds are stirred up. Our spirits are stirred up. We are sold out. We are committed to see to it that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the water covers the sea. So we decree and declare right now that nobody standing under the sound of my voice will, will be lukewarm towards the things of God. In the name of Jesus. You're fired up. You're fired up. And I decree that you're committed to knowledge. You're committed to growth. And you're committed to serving the purpose of God. In the name of Jesus. Great grace is upon you. I take authority over everything that is contrary. I silence the voice of the enemy. In the name of Jesus. And I decree that you have boldness. Boldness to do ministry. Boldness to serve the purpose of God. And boldness to live out your realities. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Glory to the Lamb. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. I hear the Holy Ghost say, there are some of you that will want to know the things that I will have them to do. In the days to come, in the weeks to come, if you will yield to my spirit and spend extra time, yield to my spirit and spend extra time listening. All of my blueprint and all of my plan and the step-by-step -step decisions you will need to make to walk within the center of my will, I have already made available to you. But you will have to take out time, you will have to take extra time and just spend before me in prayer and listening and listening, and listening. And if you will listen, and you will yield to my spirit, you will suddenly see what to do, where to do, when to do. You will have details. You will have specifics, saith God. I never called you to confusion. My spirit is not the author of confusion. I called you to direction and solution. But yeah, you will have to yield. 
you will have to yield. And some of you will say, but how will I know when the Spirit of God is speaking to me? Well, you know that my Spirit is speaking to you because you and my Spirit are one. And when my Spirit speaks to you, it will bring joy. It will bring peace. It will bring comfort. When my Spirit speaks to you, it will bring joy. It will bring peace. It will bring comfort. So, when my Spirit speaks to you, look out for the fruit of the speakings of my Spirit. It will be joy. It will be peace. It will be comfort. It will be assurance. It will be confidence. All of those are the fruits of my Spirit. And when you hear me speak to you, I give you clarity. I do not speak to you to confuse you. I speak to you to give you clarity. So, don't be afraid because you will hear, you will hear more of the things I will speak to you. You will hear more of the instructions I will give to you. Within my instructions are your victories. Within my instructions are your victories. Within my instructions are your victories. So when you take your steps in accordance with my instructions, you are guaranteed victory. Say of the Spirit of God, your best days are still ahead. Greater things will be done through you. And you will not be afraid. You will not be ashamed. And you will rejoice. And you will celebrate. And you will abound in all of my goodness and in all of my graciousness. And through you, saith God, I will manifest the fragrance of my grace to others. In your neighborhood, in your places of work, I will manifest my glory and my grace. And yes, say of the Lord, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear is far from you. Be confident. Be confident in the things that I will say to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Get rid of uncertainties. Get rid of uncertainties and be confident in my love. Get rid of uncertainties and be confident in my love. Oh, Shakola, Lakora, Tiske. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Look at me for a minute. I just saw this in the spirit. He says, you will not ask. You will not ask me for bread and I give you a stone. You will not ask me for fish and I give you a serpent. If you that are evil compared to who I am, talking about natural man, give good gifts to your children. How much more? I hear God say, I give the much more. I give the much more. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that my spirit speaking to you may confuse you and an evil spirit will speak to you. Don't be afraid. Light and darkness don't live together. My spirit can be speaking to you and an evil spirit is speaking at the same time. Don't be afraid. Be bold. Yield and flow. Just yield and flow. That's where your victory is. Praise God. That's where your victory is. Don't be afraid of losing. You never lose. Because God never loses. Amen. Amen. Cheer up and be excited. The days ahead are beautiful. Amen. Glory to God. Can we have some crazy noise in the next 30 seconds? Glory! Yay! Woo! Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. We hope your soul has been truly enriched. 
More video and audio teachings are available on our website, www.ChristRehobothChurch.com. Follow our social media pages and check us out on Facebook, Kingsley Agu Ministry, and on YouTube, Kingsley Agu Ministry.